Please open to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, got, we're going to be in Luke 24 uh, this morning. My pattern is normally, you know that if you visit the Rock Church and you come to this church, you will know that we normally read the passage in advance. I thought I would not do that today so that um, we can actually get out of here at a reasonable amount of time because we're going to go through the whole chapter pretty much, verses 1 to 49, in order to tell the story of what happened on this day a few thousand years ago, like what really happened. Have a look at it from the Scripture. Luke chapter 24 is amazing in that respect. I mean, there are, there are many great stories, right, in the Gospels. All four Gospels, uh, it's not a surprise, but all four Gospels speak about Resurrection Sunday, which is what I, I prefer to call it. We do call it Easter, as you can see on our screen here today. Um, they all talk about it and give different perspectives, the same facts, but different perspectives. Uh, perspectives and highlights of what's going on on this morning. And so we know that related to the story, there, there are multiple stories, of course, in many of the Gospels, three of the four, about the women who went to the tomb on that morning with the spices that they had prepared to take to uh, prepare the body of Jesus um, on that morning because they had not been able to do that uh, on the day that he was crucified because the Sabbath began at 6 o'clock. So we know there's that. And related to that story, we, we, we know that what happens is, is an angel actually shows up to a few of these women and tells them, basically says, what are you doing? What are you looking? He's risen. Didn't you know that? And he told you he would rise. And, and uh, he's alive. And so the ladies run back to where the apostles are and the disciples. There's about 120 of them left at that time. Think about that. You know, thousands upon thousands following him for three and a half years. What's left? A small church. Mm-hmm. A small church of 120 remained faithful, hopeful that what happened on this day would actually happen. And out of them became the church. So that's pretty remarkable. So they run back, and of course, you remember what happened, right? They run back to the guys, and they tell the guys, you know, Peter and the apostles, hey, you know, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. An angel told us. <laughs> the guys are a little bit dubious, if not unbelieving, to say the least, about what the women have said to them, right? But maybe not completely. Peter, of course, gets on his high horse and runs to the tomb, right? And, and John in his gospel says, and the other beat him, <laughs> The other would be John. It's kind of interesting how boys are boys right there in the gospel, right? We had a race, and Peter was running first, but I beat him. I mean, it's in there. It's actually there. It's an amazing story. Then there's one of my favorite stories, which is the story of Thomas. My middle name is Glenn Thomas Davies, so I kind of have an affinity for him, but, but also I believe he was rather short in stature. Okay, I'm reading that into the scripture. Uh, but, but it's because people have called him a doubter. And, and frankly, I've preached on that passage before, and I don't see that. I don't see Thomas being a doubter in the sense that he was a doubter in any more ways than anybody else on that day. Thomas simply wanted to see the body of Jesus Christ for himself, like everybody else had on that day. And so I have to tell you, although I love that story very, very much, and have preached on that one before... I have to say that the story that begins here in Luke 24, that begins here in Luke 24, is one of my favorite, and that's because of the road to Emmaus, which we'll get to. But as I was rereading it, like I said on Good Friday, uh, something struck me that I'd never seen before, which is really awesome. The Holy Spirit does that often. If you just keep reading the Bible and reading the Bible and reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit will go, hey, smarty pants, you didn't see this, did you? And especially how it ends 
is really, really interesting. I was surprised. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. And this is what I had not seen. I think it's this. The Holy Spirit and Jesus, of course, have a singular purpose in mind for what's going to happen on that day. They have something specific in mind. And it may not be what you and I typically would have thought of. So your sermon title for today is this, Resurrection Sunday, yes, of first importance. And usually I have three points, but today it's going to be one point, kind of, but it's really impossible in this text to break it down. But it it is this, of first importance, the gospel, the message, and the mission. Are you ready? Let's begin. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. But on the first day, of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that but that's there is really important because it's, if you look back into the end of chapter 23, there's the two verses that talk about the fact that the women didn't have time on that day, on Friday, to do the proper preparation with the spices of the body of Jesus Christ. So they had to hold on to their spices and wait for this day. And that's why that but is there. So as I mentioned already, all four Gospels record women going to the tomb early in the morning. Mark is the one who tells us they they went to anoint his body with the spices. And that also, while they were on the way, they were having this conversation between them. There was three, maybe four women in this particular conversation who we'll find out about in a minute who their names are, or three of them anyway. And the conversation is they're actually talking to each other about, the, the, like, who, who and how are we going to remove the stone from the tomb? So, so we know that as they're on the way, that they know the tomb has been sealed, and there's this huge boulder and rock there, right? So, so th- there's a few keys that we should note here. First, the women were simply doing what was customary for the burial of a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, that their body would be prepared with spices um, to preserve the body, um, and then it would be wrapped in linen. Jesus' body was already wrapped in linen, so they were going to have to unwrap him to do this again. And so they were going to the tomb for the purpose of finishing what they could not do, as I said, on Friday at the start of the Sabbath. But secondly, this point is very important and it's clear, and that is this. They were going to the tomb expecting to find the body of what? A dead man. Why bring the spices? Why are they going to be necessary if he's risen? No, they're going to the tomb because they expect they're going to find the body of a dead man. And so I make that point for a number of reasons, but one of them is because Thomas is not the only doubter here. Uh, He was hopeful. He wasn't around when Jesus arrived that afternoon, evening, as we're going to see. Thomas wasn't there, but he's not the only doubter. Thirdly, they also didn't expect to find the tomb open, did they? Because they're talking about, like, how are we going to remove this stone? And they also didn't expect to find Jesus missing, not there. And yet, when they arrive, Luke tells us, to their surprise, the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. And at that very moment, while they are dismayed and confused, Luke goes on in the story to tell us this. They're asked by these two angels, why do you seek, look at this, the living among the dead? 
He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So I I think even the angel's words are evidence that the women, uh, along with the men, were unbelieving when it came to what Jesus said he would do on the third day. Or, or let's put it this way, doubtful, not sure. That's okay, but that's what we're, I believe, seeing here. And then look what happens. We have, we have literally the first representation, the beginning. It's just a snippet. It's going to get expounded on, but the beginning of the presentation of the gospel on this day. It's brief, but it's clear. When the angels say to them, remember, what, 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 is, what is he bringing to their memory? I mean, instead of saying, listen, he's risen. Let me tell you where he is, and it's all going to be good. No, he immediately takes them back to remembering what Jesus has said is going to happen. Remember that he said what Jesus told you, all of you, that the Son of Man must, must be delivered over to sinful men, be put to death, and rise again. It's actually the next verse, which I will not be putting on screen this morning, but the next verse says, and then they remembered his words. So they're being told this. This is encouraging news. And then they remembered, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Jesus did say this. So maybe even going there on the third day wasn't necessarily because they expected. Maybe. We don't know. But then they remembered because of what the angels had said to them that he would do this. And so then they went back and they told the 11. Judas is, of course, no longer with them. And the rest of the approximately 120 disciples, what they saw and heard. Luke then names the women. He says that there was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. And he states that there were other women. And apparently the reason why he says Mary, the mother of James, is because there were a few Marys there. Very popular name. But there were a few Marys present on this particular day. And these are the women who told the apostles, but then he writes, the words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe. More doubters, obviously. They're guys, right? They doubted. None of them believed. But again, neither did the women until they were told, right? Right? So, but why? why? Why are the men not believing the women? Just because they're women? I mean, that's what's told sometimes. I don't believe that's true. It's not just because of that. These were women who traveled with them for two to three years. This, these are women who served them and served Jesus. These were women who they provided for and protected and cared for and who, yes, served alongside of them as well. No, it wasn't that. It was because of a simple thing that we've seen in the text already. They didn't see the body. You heard from a couple of angels. Still doubtful, right? Every single one of them is still doubtful. They wanted to see the body of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Thomas would ask for, right? Wouldn't you? I would. I'm not smarter than these guys or these women. So finally, Luke mentions Peter running off to the tomb but doesn't record what John does about beating Peter there. And again, they find no Jesus. 
Then, G- then Luke records this, the beginning of the next story, which is interesting. After this, Luke goes to this. Then that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So now it's approximately early afternoon, um, and the questions that arise out of this are, are they a married couple? Are they two dudes? Uh, well, we don't know. We're not told. We, we do find out that one of them is a male because he is named as Cleopas. So we, don't, we just don't know. It could be a couple, a husband, a wife. Um, are, are they? They're not probably apostles. We don't get that, but they're definitely part of the others, the 120. Um, and, and we learn that they're walking away, talking with one another. It's a seven-mile journey to, to Emmaus, probably their hometown. And they're talking with each other, just conversing like you and I would be walking away from this crazy Passover week, the, the burial, the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. And, and then they've, you know... And they're just talking about it. They're just reminiscing. And clearly, as we find out, they're, they're very sad. As they're walking and talking together, Jesus just comes walking up beside them. <laughs> this is probably his first appearance, by the way. Mm, probably. He walks up beside them while they're talking. And Luke tells us that they didn't recognize him, probably because of his glorified body. He then asks them a simple question. Hey, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Duh. It's just... I... So they stop right there in their tracks, right? They stop in their tracks with very sad faces, and one of them... We know, as I said, is Cleopas. He, he basically says to Jesus in, in a kind of sarcastic, I can't do the Jewish accent, so I won't even try. But, but you can just imagine it. You, you put it on these words, right? But they basically say something. Hey, look, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem in this past week who do, does not know what's been going on? Seriously, buddy. <laughs> so this tells us at least this, I think. This was the talk of the week. Jesus was the talk of the week. Are you kidding me? Remember what he did when he went into the temple and just created havoc, turning over the tables of the money changers, healing the blind, creating such a a ruckus that the the chief priests and the rulers had to crucify him, and all the people in town who were previously yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now going, crucify him, crucify him. This was the story of that week. And, and you haven't heard anything about this, buddy? Jesus simply replies, what things? <laughs> I, I just love it. I just, it's really fantastic when you think about it. The resurrected Jesus goes to two disciples who are clearly dejected and going home, giving up, and he's basically saying, hey, I want you to tell me what happened last week. What, what, just so he can hear or so that we can read this story today? Well, if there's a lot of reasons, I think, that he does this. Their response is this. They tell Jesus, well, look, it was about a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> uh-huh. Keep going. Like, I'm sorry. It's, it's, 
He was, in the past tense, they go on to say, this mighty prophet indeed, uh, uh, and words seemed like he was sent from God. Um, but then this past week, our, our chief priests and the rulers, you know, like they, they turned against him, they sentenced him to death, death and they crucified him. And then they add this doubtful but. But we had hoped that maybe he was the one, the Messiah who would redeem us, who would redeem Israel. And then on top of that, today marks three days since all of this happened, they continue to tell Jesus. And then, well, some of the women uh, of, our, of the disciples, they, they kind of amazed us when they went to the tomb and the angels told them that he was alive, but they didn't see him. And then they came back saying all this, but there was no Jesus there. And then they told us about these angels. And, and, and so some of the men, they ran to the tomb and they found the same thing. No Jesus. That's their reply. And, and then it's interesting how Jesus replies, right? Now, you all know it's a good thing I'm not Jesus, right? It's, I, I just, I mean, like at that point, it's like, it's me, right? I mean, guys, look, it's, it's done, it's finished. That's not what he does. He replies, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these thing, things and enter his glory? That's a bit of an ouch, isn't it? That's a bit of an ouch. Coming from the mouth of someone who appeared to be a stranger, this must have seemed really harsh to them, don't you think? Who are you? <laughs> he then goes on, Luke says this, and beginning with Moses, look, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you just imagine this small group Bible study? Who needs systematic theology? A masters of divinity. Man, I would love to have heard what he did. So there's much that can be said about this, but note this for now. Obviously, Jesus cares very much for these two. He's risen from the dead, and, and he goes after two that are walking away, dejected and giving up. He clearly, clearly loves these two. And they are examples, I think, for all of us about how he feels about all of his disciples, right? Secondly, Jesus makes it very clear that, listen, all of Scripture speaks of and points to him. This is now the second time on this day that we see, and this time hear Jesus himself making the focus of Resurrection Sunday the gospel on this day, plainly put. So the story continues, and after the Bible study, as they come near Emmaus, they, they ask Jesus, hey, would, would you like to stay the night and have dinner with us? Are you, yeah. After that Bible study, after all that, who is this guy? Does he know Jesus? Luke records, when he was at table with them, 
he took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Right there. Did they see his wrists that were pierced? Did they see that? Was that it? We're not told. So it was probably more of a Holy Spirit moment. And then we see that he literally, not metaphorically, vanished. Poof, gone from their sight. It's remarkable. So, so what would you be thinking at this moment? I mean, think about it. This is rather amazing, right, what has just happened to you. And Luke tells us why they briefly, that, that at this point, they briefly reminisced. At that point, they go, Could you, do you remember when we were walking on the road and he was talking to us? And, and, and even before he started teaching us about Moses and the prophets, like our hearts were like, who is this? Oh, he was just comforting us and making us feel so much better about this day. And then especially so when he opened the scriptures. And then we learn another key as to why Jesus went to these two. The other key is this. They immediately got up and went back to Jerusalem, right? That hour, late in the day, and they returned, which is, in itself is really marvelous. So Jesus points them to the Scripture, and that points them back to Jerusalem, to what will become their church family, and to, look at this, the mission. Gospel, there's a message we're going to see, and there's this mission thing. It's already part of Jesus' mindset and purpose on that day. It's wonderful. So they go back. They arrive back and they find the 11 apostles who are also have heard that Jesus is alive because Peter has, he's appeared to Peter. So they're just confirming this with each other. And the two reports, how he was known to them, these two who come back from the road to Emmaus, they go, yes, we knew him in the breaking of bread. Then we read this. As they were talking about these things. Look. Uh, did I go past it? Uh, excuse me. I want you to see this if we have it here. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> it says this in verses 36 and 37. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, in the Hebrew, Shalom. Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So just as Jesus has vanished with the two on the road to Emmaus in their home, he now appears with the famous words, peace be to you. And we read that they're, they're frightened. They're startled. And I think the number one reason for that is, first of all, they're, they're realizing at this point in time, this is him. This is Jesus. It's shocking. It's wonderful news. But, but also, secondly, he's been transformed in his appearance. And so they're, they're, they're a little bit unsettled about that. And Jesus is, of course, very, very gentle with them. And at first, he, he, he gently rebukes them when he says this. He says, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to go back. There we are. Why are you troubled? 
Why do you have doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he encourages them first not to doubt. And then he does for all of them exactly what Thomas is going to ask for later when he comes back after he's been roaming around Jerusalem, fretting about what happened to Jesus. He's going to ask for the same thing. Jesus shows them his body, the marks of his crucifixion, and he offers for them to touch him so that, so that they will believe, so that they will not be unbelieving. And as a, as a final act of comfort to them, he can see the look in their eyes is like, and we don't know, did anyone reach out and touch him? Maybe a few were like, you know, holding on to him on the side. We don't know. But at that point, Jesus simply says, okay, has anybody got any sushi? No, he asks for some food, right? And they give him some fish because he, he wants to show them that a ghost, a spirit doesn't eat food. He wants them to see that he's alive. It's really him. And he wants them to believe. And then finally, we hear directly from Jesus what he believes the meaning and the purpose of his death, burial, and his resurrection on this day should be and is for all of us when he says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so he adds the Psalms, but again, I have to ask the question, like at at this point, like like, remember the Passover meal? Let's break bread. Let's have dinner together. Let's have a party. Come on. I'm here. I'm back. Right? Let's celebrate. The gospel, the scriptures, the message. It just goes on. He basically says that, listen, all of these scriptures, the whole of the Old Testament, speak of the gospel, and all of them point to me and that all of it is fulfilled in me. And today, especially, it is done. This is wonderful. And then we read, then, this is critical, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit would come upon all of the disciples all of those from all the nations in Acts chapter 2 so that they could understand the gospel that Peter would preach and the scriptures. But on this day, they get a special dispensation so that, look at this, they will understand the scripture. Friends, listen, not everyone who reads the Bible understands it. Ever, ever notice that? Not everybody who reads the Bible understands what it actually is saying. This is why, quite frankly, the early church and the church to this day has so much false teaching and why so many remain really, quite frankly, far from God. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit opening our minds to understand the truth of God's Word, we're lost, and in some cases, we can be led astray. And then Jesus unpacks the gospel, the message, and the mission in what he says next. In verse 47, he says, And that, going on from, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and die on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, 
in this room right now with me, 120 of you with the apostles, men and women, are my witnesses. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is what Jesus was on about, mostly. So let me ask you this at this point, which I've actually just declared. What was clearly really on Jesus' mind more than anything else on this day? On Resurrection Sunday. Is it to encourage us on how to now go and live a better and happier life and a more joyful life? Is it, listen, it's finished. I've died for your sins, all of your sins, and the sins of everyone in the world. So listen, like, go and enjoy your freedom in Christ, your freedom from the law. Go and enjoy it. Be blessed. Live your best life now. Oh, and by the way, if you have some spare time, do good to others, you know, to the poor, and do those things. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't say anything about that at all. So now, please, listen, please hear me. Most of these things, any of these things that we are to celebrate and to enjoy as a result of his work on the cross and in our place and his resurrection are wonderful, are blessings, they're good, including helping the poor and social justice and these things are good. But they're not of first importance to Jesus on the day that he rose from the dead. There's something else that's more important, and that is this. It's the gospel and its proclamation. People need to be saved. Guys, there's no time to party. I, I need to get you ready because I'm going to ascend. You've got to go. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this exact truth, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, he says this. For guys, listen, I've been preaching the gospel to you for a long time. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he claimed to receive this directly as revelation from Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. And then he goes on to talk about he, he, to a, a, over 501 gathering for 40 days after he rose. And so this whole day, the first of the week, Resurrection Sunday, has been about the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel and that gospel, friends, is laid out by Jesus himself as repentance for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in Jesus' name throughout the world. So on this wonderful day, Jesus has accomplished your salvation, my salvation, salvation for everyone who will believe, right? He has. We have been saved from the penalty of sin that was our due wages, and that penalty was, yes, death. And so through the total forgiveness of our sin, he has also made us alive again, spiritually alive again. We will never die, born again, and placed us into God's family, into God's family now and for, for eternity. And there's even more. He has called us to the greatest purpose and mission that any of us could ever find for our lives, being his witnesses to the lost, and to the dying in this world today. I mean, do you see, like, in this passage, 
Luke 24, on Resurrection Sunday, the Great Commission language? It's right there. It doesn't just happen in Matthew 28, right, when Jesus has his disciples together and he's about to ascend and he says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. You know, we know that that's the mission, language, but we see it right here on Resurrection Sunday, the message to go and proclaim to all the nations. And then he literally says that you will be my witnesses. This is exactly what Luke records in Acts 1.8, right? Just before the Holy Spirit comes upon them and gives them the power to go and proclaim this message and for people to understand it, he says, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, first of all. In your own backyard, first of all. In Squamish, first of all. And then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is gospel, message, and mission, commission, language. And so some of us might be saying, well, yeah, those people on that day, they were witnesses to Jesus. Right. So were you. If you're in Christ today, if you've been saved by his sacrifice on the cross for you today, so are you. And you know what your witness is? Your testimony. Your testimony, how Jesus is alive, how you have been made fully alive by him, how you know him, how you now know and understand his scriptures, and you're willing to proclaim it and share it with someone else, that's your best witness. That's your best witness. So friends, let me put it to you simply as we close today. The stories of Resurrection Sunday are awesome. I love them all, and I know you do too. But they really aren't about the women and the men, are they? It's pretty typical of us to want to see ourselves in the story and want to see it being about us. We are the beneficiaries. Amen? We are the beneficiaries. But friends, I know and I hope you see it as true. This story is about Jesus. Resurrection Sunday is about Jesus. This book, cover to cover, is about Jesus. It's his story. It is history. And the good news is, if you're in Christ today, or if you're not, you can be, you can be part of his story for the rest of your life and for eternity. Amen? He is risen. Pray with me, would you?